Hey, Zach. Hey, Steven. The last time on the podcast, we talked about my phone case. That we did. And I would like to announce that I will be sticking, for now at least, with the Otterbox Strata. Okay. Was there a specific factor that made your mind up about it? Um, not particularly. Just that it was everything I wanted in a phone case and nothing more and nothing less. Um, I, I like it, but it does have that clunky case feeling still. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there's any getting rid of that because it's a case and yeah. it's going to feel clunky. <laughs> and, and definitely being an Otterbox, that's going to be. Yeah. So here's my idea, Zach. Oh. Instead of offering protection by building around the phone, what if we made a case that is more like an airbag? Uh, all right. So kind of the same, like the Mars rover deployment. Yes, exactly like system, that. System where it just, it, it hooks up to the phone's accelerometer. It could even have its own accelerometer. It, it just gets a little bit of power from the phone. Yeah. How, how much power do you need to fill an airbag? Well, okay, so there's a few hiccups that I'm realizing. First, okay. uh, carrying explosives in your pocket. Yeah, that, yeah. Because airbags are explosives. Uh, the other way we could do it is compressed air, but that seems also like a bad idea. Well, th- then either you're compressing the air as the phone falls. Well, no. Or it, you're carrying around yeah. compressed air. Yes. Which does not help the clunky at all. It depends on how much you compress it, doesn't it? You need to compress it enough to fill up an airbag, right? Yeah. And quickly, like with force. Well, yeah, if it's that compressed, it's going to be anyway. <laughs> so you are going sleek but extremely heavy. Mm, I guess, yeah. Sleek but dense. Dense. Okay. So let's just say, in theory, that we got uh, enough compressed air into a phone case so that it's not, mm-hmm. it's, it's just a bumper case now. It's not, like, actually providing any protection uh, without the compressed air in it. Okay? Mm-hmm. And then it would be more like an airbag than the Mars rover because the Mars rover thing hits the ground and, but doesn't deflate. This case would hit the ground and deflate. How did the Mars rover get out of it then? Well, it def- deflates eventually, It just, but it, it bounces. What, like an okay. airbag, with, if it, an airbag will inflate very quickly and then once your face hits it, it deflates very quickly because it's not there's nothing holding the air in. Yeah, all right, they makes sense. They don't want your face to bounce off the uh, bounce off the car. They just want it to stay there. Yeah. Okay. Um. So so what's the mechanism then for getting that airbag to deploy? I'm still a little shaky on it. Okay. Um. There's two ways we could do it. We could do it as an accelerometer, which would require the phone to hit the ground first, then inflate with air. <laughs> Because it would have, you couldn't just do if you're falling, because you, but you could do if you stop very quickly. Okay, so it hits the ground and then the airbag inflates. Well, yeah, quick, but quickly, like as when you crash, <laughs> when you crash your car, the airbag inflates. Okay, so you could either do it with the accelerometer, or just put sensors in the case that like look for dents or whatever. However, they usually do it with cars. Mm-hmm. This is going to be expensive. Yeah, but it's worth it for a sleek but secure phone case. Yeah. What about water? How would you protect from water with this phone case? Or is that just not? That's not even oh, a concern. Oh, yeah. I didn't think about that. I'd Maybe, well, I guess it would float if you... 
I know that there is such a... You could probably put a moisture sensor in there. As long as you don't get it, like, just don't take it in the shower with you. It would inflate. Yeah. That was not a concern before now. Okay. So, so if we happen to conveniently make it also help against water, then good. But that's not our main focus. No, I don't think so. It it sounds like it has it has teeth. This idea. <laughs> I'm glad you think so. No one else does. <laughs> Uh, but Stephen, it really sounds like you just recently happened upon a lot of airbag-related knowledge. You know, I did kinda. How'd that happen? <laughs> well, let me read you the story. All right. First off, I would like to say that car accidents are one out of ten on the fun scale. Okay. What are what are they on probability? Actually, this is one of those things that like you're more likely to get in a car accident than anything. Get eaten by sharks or. Yeah, I would say that's probably true. Anyway, uh, actually, car accidents are 1 out of 10 on the fun scale. That 1 is only for getting to test out the safety features of your car. That's actually kind of cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> you have no idea if the airbag works until you need it. <laughs> yeah. That. Oh, God. Yeah. I already didn't like cars, Stephen. Why would you have to bring that up? <laughs> All right. Let me tell you a story. I pulled up to a busy four-way stop at the same time as a maroon Buick minivan. The minivan was adjacent to me on my left side, so both of our turn signals indicated that we were intended to go straight. Mm -hmm. So even though it was busy, we both came to a complete stop. I was to the minivan's right, so I had the right of way. Mm -hmm. I knew this, so I pulled into the intersection. This is where I made my mistake. I assumed that the minivan would follow the law and wait for me to vacate the intersection before going through. It did not. I ended up hitting the minivan's passenger side wheel well with my driver's side bumper. Mm -hmm. All right. Is that painting a picture? Yep. Okay. I actually don't remember a lot from the accident. I remember hearing a cartoonish tire screech and a grass <laughs> glass cracking sound. It was, it was just like it sounds in the movies. It was, it was hilariously bad. Okay. Um, <laughs> next thing I knew, my face was in the airbag and I was in a daze. The best comparison I can come up with is for the feeling of being in a small car accident is laying face down on a giant balloon, like as big as you are, and then having that balloon pop under you. If you can imagine that, okay. like, uh, you get like balloon popping in your face, which is not fun. Uh -huh. So like big, loud adrenaline rush, and then the physical sensation of having the air knocked out of you and then falling a little bit. Mm-hmm. I didn't black out, but there was definitely a few moments when I stopped producing memories because the minivan yeah. was not in front of me when I came when I rem started remembering things. So I looked around and I could see the residue from the airbag ex explosion floating around the car, and the car was hot. It was so hot, and I was just breathing in those particles. Mm. <laughs> so I unbuckled the seatbelts and stepped out of the car, and turns out I had been keeping my foot on the brake even after the crash. And the impact moved my manual transmission into from second gear into neutral. So when I stepped out of the car, it started to roll. Oh. <laughs> so I had to chase down my car, <laughs> hop back inside, and pull the parking brake. Oh my gosh. So just like a, a second level of a second snap of adrenaline then? Yeah, or? I was like, oh shit. So yeah. It it was like two steps. It wouldn't it wasn't like Yeah. It wasn't I had to sprint for it, but it was not good thing for sure 
But like when you start to drop your phone, that like, yeah. Oh no. Yeah. It's like that, but with your car. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I saw the minivan had moved off to the side of the road and I figured I should do the same thing. So after I took a second, I released the parking brake and pushed the car by the steering wheel over to the, behind the minivan. Mm-hmm. Uh, the woman driving the minivan got out and asked if I was all right. And I was still kind of in a daze, but physically I was okay. She looked completely okay too. Um, and I, so I asked her anyway um, if she was all right. And I made my second mistake by following up and asking her what happened. Oh. And I can't say for sure if she intentionally tried to manipulate me, but she almost succeeded if she did, if she was. She told me that I must have not seen her coming, and I couldn't remember what happened because I wasn't thinking clearly or whatever, so I didn't think about the fact that she had a vested interest in saying it was my fault. Mm -hmm. And I was ready to repeat, right at that moment, I was ready to repeat what she told me word for word to the police. Until about 60 seconds before I gave the officer my statement. That's what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. What Was there anything in particular that... Uh, just that... I, I don't know, like, what triggered my... Oh, wait, maybe not say that. <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. I'm glad it happened, I guess. Yeah. I just have a good someone screwing with me sensor, I guess. Yeah. Um, I ended up telling the police that I didn't remember what happened, which was true at the time. But I really wish I had been able to give an accurate statement because they ended up not assigning fault, so my insurance didn't cover the damages. Mm. And so that kind of sucks because I cannot drive the car anymore. We actually scrapped it a little while ago. Um, The woman, turned out, was not a licensed driver and did not have insurance on that vehicle, both of which are legal in Wisconsin. Yeah. The officer assured us that she was cited, but that didn't help me get my car back because the fact that she didn't have a driver's license did not make it her fault that the accident happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't get too upset, though. No one was injured. Everyone, Everything's fine. Actually, there's one injury. Oh. The heat from my airbag gave me a second-degree burn on my right hand. <laughs> what? Oh, God, at some point, I knew these because I was a Boy Scout. What? What's second degree? Okay, so a fir- what marks that? A first degree burn is a sunburn. Yeah. A second degree burn, well, I don't know for sure, actually. I should probably look it up before I start saying it in public. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's blisters. Yeah, that's and th- that's what I would guess. And third degree is you actually lost a layer of skin. Yeah, and I definitely blistered. It was like, you know where the, you know where you check a steak? Like, the first finger is rare, medium rare, uh, medium well done. No, I, I, what? Okay, uh, I guess another... A gr- <laughs> Quick tip on how to check steaks. Yeah, uh, for grilling, I know at least. Um, if you touch your index finger to your thumb lightly and poke the meaty part of your thumb uh, on your palm, that's how what the steak should feel like if it's rare. And your okay. middle finger, if you do the same thing, that's what it should feel like if it's medium rare. And then your ring finger is Whoa. medium, and then your pinky <laughs> is well done. I did not know that. Okay, so yeah, the meaty part of your thumb where you check steaks with, that's the part that got burned. Ah. And pretty much that entire area was a blister for a while, and it wasn't fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's my but, that's my car accident. <laughs> yeah. As far as car accidents go, that sounds like yeah, definitely not a terrible not, not one. Not a bad one. Not a bad one. It. I wish it didn't happen, of course, but if it mm-hmm. was going to happen, I'm glad it happened like that because... You know, it wasn't my fault and stuff, so... 
No one got hurt. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I, not having a driver's license and still driving is just such a strange act. Mm-hmm. And not just yeah. not on I, her. It what she did, was not a licensed driver. I sh- should make that clear. Oh, that's really yeah. That's weird. There's not like maybe she it was taken away from her when she was a minor, because or or maybe she was taken away from her like she was in too many accidents or uh she got t- too many uh speeding tickets or whatever. Okay, but it gets taken away from you because then you shouldn't be driving. Yeah. So yeah, that that happened. Huh. So yeah, that's where the inspiration for the uh, airbag phone case came from. A few episodes ago, we talked about needing a better system for uh, DRMs, digital rights management. On ebooks. On ebooks. Specifically. Yeah. And so here's what I came up with, Zach. And we talked about this last time, mm. but it had to get cut too, because this is already a complicated topic and not hearing every other word made it very hard to understand. Okay, so here's how it works. When Bob buys a book from Amazon, Amazon tells the blockchain mm. that they're tell- sending Bob a book. And okay. I guess we should lead up that. Uh, so a blockchain is just a record of transactions. Yes, a digital ledger is always the yeah. phrase that I've heard used. And it's distributed amongst everyone using that service. Mm-hmm. So Bob has a copy of the ledger, Jim has a copy of the ledger, everyone has a copy of the ledger. So there's no like, oh yeah, totally, Amazon gave me this for free. Yeah. Okay, so Bob buys a book from Amazon, Amazon tells the blockchain that they're sending Bob a book. So the transaction gets added in the format, Amazon is sending ReamD to Bob. Mm-hmm. And so when Amazon actually sends the book to Bob, the book is an executable file, and the executable file contains the book's data, which is the actual book. Uh, the book's data is encrypted with a homeomorphic encryption scheme, and that means that you can do math on the on the decrypted version of the of the thing you're encrypting while it's, while still, it's still encrypted. encrypted. So if I want to send Zach the number three, or so if the encryption scheme is multiplied by 3, and I want to send Zach 4, I mm-hmm. would send Zach 12, and he would yeah. decrypt it by dividing by 3 and get the number 4. Yep. What homeomorphic encryption does is allow Zach to uh, multiply 12 by, say, 6 and get 72, and then he would send it back to me, and I would decrypt it by dividing by 3, and and get um, 27. 24. 20, yeah, 24. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> Wrong number. Okay. It's this summer. We don't need math. Yeah. And get 24. And Zach never had to decrypt the, the first number. Okay. Yep. That makes more sense. So, yeah. But that, with instead of multiplying by 3, you do a weird encryption scheme that makes it random gobbledygook. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what homeomorphic encryption allows us to do is have a encryption with two keys, and have so it requires two passwords to open, and that is some very complicated math that I cannot explain over text or over, over audio. Mm-hmm. Um, so the book is encrypted first with Bob's public key, which he supplies to Amazon via the blockchain. Okay. And the app's secret, Amazon's secret that no one's allowed to know. 
but it's somewhere in that it's in the binary. executable file. Yeah. yeah. So Amazon sends Bob that executable file through a download. So when Bob tries to read it, he opens the app. The app checks the blockchain to see who is supposed to have the book. And then the app asks Bob for his private key, mm-hmm. which will decrypt his public key, uh, his, his public key encryption. And if he does it, then the app will decrypt the book data with Bob's private key and the app's secret. Okay. And so now Bob has the book. And now Bob can read the book. It's stored in the memory, so it's just as secure as a DRM. And if Bob were to copy-paste that book into an email and send it to Dave, what's keeping Dave from opening that book? Nothing, but it is as secure as a DRM, because you can do that with a DRM'd book as well. Uh, the, if you were to copy that executable file oh, okay, of yeah. the book. Yeah. So Dave doesn't have Bob's private key, so he can't... Okay. So he can't decrypt the book. All right. But Bob still can sell the book to Dave. How? Bob tells the app that he wants to send the book to Dave. And the app asks Bob for Dave's public key. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, ad, the app adds the transaction to the blockchain in the format. Bob sends Reemd uh, to Dave. And the app re-encrypts the data to reflect the new owner. Okay. And then Bob... And now Bob, Bob can no longer open that. Yeah, because it's encrypted with Dave's public key. All right. And yeah, that's how we do it. No one ever is going to implement that because it sounds like a lot of work for Amazon, but it is a solution. It's, yeah. One, one way to solve the DRM problem. I'd, I'd be happy if it were solved <laughs> in any way. Technically, the problem is solved. Whether or not anyone's going to use the solution is not up to us. <laughs> Although, I, I mean, putting that solution somewhere online would probably help. Yeah. Write a white paper. Yeah. That isn't just an Evernote document. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of document, uh, there's there's no transition here. Um, but still broadly in the subject of security, uh, new virus, Petya, P-E-T-Y-A. Do you know anything about this, Stephen? I know that it's not all that new. It was first discovered in March of 2016, according to the Wikipedia. Okay. And, and that is true. As far as I know. Of Petya. But this, Stephen, is not Petya. Yes. <laughs> that's that's the name for it. Yep. Um, they stole so my does, Twitter name. Yeah, ex- exactly. Definitely the security firm saw not Stephen Barry and decided that was just the way to name everything. Yeah. All right. What, uh, quick aside, was that a rebellion against the author? No, but that's funny. I should start telling people that. <laughs> okay. Uh, Petya. It does share some characteristics and the same appearance as Petya, uh, which popped up mid last year uh, and j- just got around. It was uh, ransomware, which meant it encrypted files and then asked you for money and then would decrypt them ostensibly. But it actually, this this new version that popped up is so very different in everything but appearance. So this, this new not Petya, uh, it just popped up in late June uh, 2017, and it first started showing up with, um, it hijacked the updating mechanism of MeDoc, which was a Ukrainian tax software. Um, so MeDoc would go out to the MeDoc servers and say, hey, is there a new version yet? 
And usually Medoc would say, yep, here you go. It's the new version. Just download it and install it and whatever. And now you've got a new version of this tech software. But the, in, instead of it downloading and installing the new version of Medoc, in this instance, it downloaded and installed Petya, or not Petya, the new version. Um, it does spread through a couple different channels once it's on the computer then, one of which is the Eternal Blue exploit that was leveraged by WannaCry uh, and found by NASA. Not NASA. Oh, my God. The NSA. I get <laughs> less and funny, less coherent. Though. Less and less coherent the more I have to talk in a straight line. Give me a moment. Talking in a straight line should be a thing we say more often. Talking in a... Because it makes sense. It's totally what you're doing is talking in a straight line. I, I don't do that. That's not that's not what I do. See? Like this. This is not a straight line. This is some fun tangent. Yeah, I know. But uh, I, I know it's not what you do, but it's a thing we should say <laughs> more often because I, I've never heard that before. However, it makes complete sense. All right. Okay, anyway, once uh, this new NotPetya gets into your machine, it uh, reboots the computer and flags all of the files as no longer there, so effectively they can be overwritten, uh, and then says it's encrypting the drive, and then it demands $300 to a particular Bitcoin address for removal. So it doesn't actually encrypt any files, it just says they're not there, look... Yeah, from everything that I could find, it it says they're not there, and then it starts, I think, if, essentially it's disk defragmentation. Okay. Which takes all of the files and writes over all the empty chunks of memory. So it starts erasing everything. Does it actually erase them, or does it just say they're erased? It looks like they're all erased. That, that was one thing I wasn't entirely clear on, but from what I saw, uh, security researchers have found that it actually does erase the files not encrypt them and there's no way that's annoying there's no way to get them back what's the point honestly because people that's a great question steven but yeah Um, people are i'll get to that i'm sorry i'll I'll shut up now (laughs) um really quickly before we get to what the point of it all is uh they did find a vaccine um which you you put a particular file in your documents folder or something and then the uh disk encryption routine uh, there are heavy quotes on that. That routine wouldn't run, um, but it still will spread from your computer to the next. All right. So what's the point? So what's the point of having a ransomware that doesn't give your files back? Because all that's... Oh, I know what the point is. What's the point, Stephen? Disruption. Yep. They're not actually um, looking for money, is the idea. Yeah. There's a, a lot of things that have been pointed to as a little weird about it. Um, the fact that it can't actually decrypt being primary... Uh, The second one is the Bitcoin address doesn't change. Usually they change the Bitcoin address that you're supposed to send the money to. So each computer has a unique Bitcoin address that it sends to, which means each computer unlocks when just that address gets the money. Hmm. Um, Additionally, $300 is relatively low for ransomware. And also a lot of the different components of it and the way that it's spread really heavily targets Ukraine on a Ukrainian national holiday or around a Ukrainian national holiday. So it was Russia, or at least someone who wants us to think it's Russia. Yeah, there there are no direct pointers to Russia, but a lot of intuition. Yeah, all right. Yeah, but also uh, Yahoo security researcher says that it's definitely not a state-sponsored hacker. Well, I mean, if it's Yahoo. (laughs) That's how you know it's reliable. They definitely don't just try to create news. 
No, I... No, I don't believe a word of that. So, is it a danger to anyone in the States? If you haven't updated your computer since March or May... Update your computer. If it's running God. Windows XP. Uh, just, yeah. Just update your computer. Yeah. Half, like, I so rarely are there exploits for things that are updated. It's ridiculous. Yeah, like, one of the best security measures you can take is updating all your software. Mm-hmm. There was actually an exploit especially for, your, um, especially what? I was just going to say, especially your operating system, but yeah. go ahead. Uh, there was actually an exploit for Intel Skylake and KB Lake uh, microcode. Huh. Which is very strange. That's so rare, it, I think. Pro- probably. It's actually ridiculous how few exploits there are for that because it was I don't even I really don't even remember because all it does it's it's just saying and or xor x and mm-hmm. and somehow someone found a flaw in that and was used used it to exploit and just I don't remember what the exploit was but I think it was more academic like in theory you could do this yeah and then maybe eventually someone will make an exploit but Intel pushed out a update super fast and yeah. So if you are running a Skylake or KB Lake processor, uh, either a, I don't actually know how you get the update because it's not like they can just push it out. I think you have to go get it. I guess it's a driver update, right? Or is it? No, it'd be BIOS. It'd be BIOS. Uh. So yeah, BIOS updates are not fun because no one knows how to do them, which is reason- yeah. reasonable because it's before boot. Yeah. Speaking of tax software, uh, yeah, sure, that's one angle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> finances. So I've been reading the book "I Will Teach You to Be Rich" by some author whose name I don't remember off the top of my head, and so I'm just gonna vamp until I get to the author page. On it's by oh god, I can't say it. Uh, Ramit Sethi. Close enough. Probably. We'll, we'll okay. put a link in the show notes. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm not all the way through it, but it's essentially just how to get all of your finances in order and how to be a little more responsible with money. And step one, chapter one, is to take charge of your credit cards. And so one of the things or some of the things that he's been talking about are kind of common sense or I thought they were con- common sense, like don't carry a balance. I feel like that's just one of those things that I've always heard from could you, ambiguous sources. Could you give me a quick uh, definition of that of that term? Okay, so when you have a credit card, you charge to it, and you've got some maximum amount that you can charge onto it, but every month you're supposed to pay back either a minimum amount or you're recommended to pay back the full amount. If you don't pay back the full amount, then interest gets added to whatever amount you haven't paid. It dings your credit score, and you still have to pay that. Right. Okay. Just plus interest. So I have always heard from ambiguous sources to not do that. Yeah, that's pretty common sense. At all possible. Don't, don't, don't pay more money than you have to. Yeah. Okay. I, I wanted to get your thoughts if you had also heard that definitely just same thing uh, probably from my parents though um I, I, I really just wanted to gauge your opinion i thought it was kind of the same um have you ever been to like a camp or in class you were talking about things you can do to save the environment 
Uh, sure. And yeah. somebody, somebody every time says, turn off the water when you're brushing your teeth. Yeah. That's, that's another one of those that I thought was just like common sense didn't need to be said until I was talking with someone about it and was like, why does this even need to be said? And they were like, that actually changed my actions. I actually stopped you like leaving the water <laughs> on when I brushed my teeth. That was just kind of how I did it. Yeah. And I was like, oh. Uh, the only explicit advice I've heard about credit cards is um, about credit score, I guess. Uh, and that's while you are a young adult, get a credit card and only use it for gasoline, say. Mm-hmm. And pay it off every month in full. Never, uh, what'd you call it? Carry a balance. Never carry a balance. And that will improve your credit score. And by the time you're an adult, a full-fledged adult, you will have a good credit score and be able to buy things like a house or a car. Yeah. yeah. And it also changes your, it, it can affect your eligibility for renting somewhere. Yeah. Make good money choices, says the 19-year-old kid. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, what other credit um, card advice did it, did they give? Uh, that the, the only one that like really stuck out was that don't carry a balance just because it's one that I've heard so often. Um, the rest of it was work to negotiate on rates and stuff. Don't get ones that have annual fees unless you can like actually calculate it out and make sure that you're earning more than the annual fees and rewards, that kind of thing. Oh, cool. Okay. That's good advice. Yeah. And just like some... But when you're... Go, go ahead. Mine is a transition. And just some basic guidelines are good sometimes. Yeah. So so far, it is a good book. Like, it's a lot of good monetary knowledge wrapped up in slightly more narrative style. It's it's not a finance textbook. That's good. Yeah. It's more colloquial. Um, and one of the other things that he does recommend is that you budget and keep track of where your money's going and that whole flow. And that got me thinking how I could make a better budgeting app. Oh. Are, are you ready to poke some holes in my idea? Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. Uh, so this, even if it never becomes a consumer app, because there are some reasons people would hesitate, I still want to consider it just like for myself. So I guess be thinking about it in terms of both. Don't just turn it down because no consumer would ever want to touch it. Okay. Um, I'm going to be reading this from a doc. So, okay. One of the biggest problems that I have with budgeting apps on the market today is there's not accountability. Like I have from, Mint from right now. From whom? From yourself to yourself? So, yeah, I suppose. So right now I'm using Mint and that has a budgeting system built into it, but it doesn't stop me, I suppose, is the, the thing that I want to happen. Um, it just kind of keeps track of where the money went after the fact. One of the budgeting methods that I've heard about that I actually really liked was the envelopes method where each time you get a paycheck you put this much money in an envelope marked gas and this much money in an envelope marked entertainment and then every time you want to go to the movies you take five dollars or whatever out of the entertainment envelope where is this movie theater and can I go to it Rippin or (laughs) any Marcus cinema on Tuesdays okay keep going (laughs) um well, you see, and then you'd like, then there's some ambiguity on, do you get the popcorn from the entertainment budget or is that the food budget? Oh, gosh, but I didn't even think about that. Those are just rules that you'd have to set for yourself and kind of know, and you only set it once and decide. You There's less active thought. You don't go to the movies and then think, oh, wait, actually, do I have enough money to do this? And then you like open up your phone and check, because nobody does that. Nobody opens Mint right. halfway through a purchase. 
You're right. So, but I use my card for everything, a credit or debit card, and everything gets automatically put into my checking account, direct deposited away. I, I don't have the bandwidth, I suppose, or I have the wrong bandwidth for the envelopes method. It makes sense if you're always being handed cash, but I'm not. Right. So what's the idea? So the idea. Uh, so it's, it's threefold. Um, first, the solution to the only after problem. Use location-based awareness. Okay. Um, so when I'm using an Android, my Android phone, Google will pop up every time I get close to a theater or an airport or anything and say, hey, these are the flight times. These are the movies they're showing in this theater right now. Here's reviews for this restaurant. It knows where I am and can check that on a larger scale without draining all of my battery. Maybe. I, my battery's been going pretty quick, so that might have something to do with it. In any case, there's a precedent for a phone being able to decide where you are. And there's also a precedent for knowing what kind of place it is. If it's a restaurant, Google will pop up the menu. So it would hypothetically be a short step to go from, you're by McDonald's, want to see the menu? To, you're by McDonald's, remember that you're past your food budget Oh, for this period in the month. That's a great idea. It's the 15th, you only wanted to spend $100 on food for some reason, and you're already at $56. So just think about it. I can't stop you. Okay, yeah, I like it. Um, accountability is the one that I have the s- smallest problem with. Like I said, it can't stop you. It's just n- notification. Um, so maybe there's a way to shoot money into a separate savings account when you're over budget or something. I'm not entirely sure on that one. Okay. I think the, the it can't stop you is still something that might need to be addressed. And the third one, um, which I didn't mention in my overview, is mislabeling. When I order something on Amazon, it always gets marked as shopping, even if I'm buying toothpaste, which is not shopping. Right. Um, so you can link to an Amazon account and it will go through and see, hey, you spent $11 on Amazon and this $11 charge was actually for toothpaste and sugru putty. Sugru putty is household goods and toothpaste is tooth care or whatever. Um, more granular labeling as well as scanning your receipts. Uh, do you have any holes to poke um, so far? Or should I move on to my third point and you're going to poke them all in I... one big... For a while, I did try to scan all my receipts to keep them in Evernote so I wouldn't have to deal with paper. But mm-hmm. I just took, a pic- just took a picture with my phone. It wasn't like a big deal. It wasn't even a lot of work. It was just an extra step that I didn't want to have to do. The rest of this has just been a one-time thing that you set up and don't have to deal with. This is more steps and will not be used. Okay. So you think it'd be pointless to add in this receipt scanning uh, feature? Not pointless, probably, but... You would need a better way than taking a picture with your phone, such as don't have one. Like one of the like, would one of those scan snap things that you set down on your desk and just yeah, feed receipts maybe. into, or even that is like a little uh, because you still have to sit down and do it and open up the app and like figure out, got it, get it to connect and like. Okay, so a proprietary that scanner. Fe- that just automatically yes, uploads. that would be good. If you got home and just fed things into your ScanSnap and then walked away from it. Mm-hmm. Or even, you you could do I it suppose, once yeah. a week. And it would just backlog for the last week what your charges were. As long as you could put it in the correct were. dates, if you could get the AI to be good enough. Yeah, I think that would work. 
And the, and the nice thing is receipts are usually fairly uniform. Yeah. T- like printed. All right. So everything's good, except you think I would need a hardware just co- implementation that just takes receipts, passes them through, and then uh, bonus points, it passes them right into oh, a shredder. Yeah, that would do, be good. <laughs> but yeah, if it was mindless enough, I think you could do it. Only well, other thing is uh, I just threw away all my receipts like this morning, so I don't have any uh, on hand, but some things are weirdly labeled. And so I think you would also need to do a little bit of crowdsourcing of the weird labeling, like CRRTS. You just tap it and say vegetable. And then everyone else who gets CRRTS, mm-hmm. it's gotcha. a vegetable, if they get it from pick and save. And you could do some fun color coding things to, like, food is green or whatever. And so there's just a box around each item on the receipt of that color. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Now I just need to <laughs> make it. Small details. So the three things are um, location, accountability, and then All mislabeling. Right. Do you have any proposals for accountability? Uh, okay. So if you go over budget, you have to give a pot of money some money. What? If you if you go over, buddy, uh, over budget, then you have to give a few extra dollars to the pot. And anyone who was under budget or at budget gets a a chunk of the pot oh no (laughs) it was a joke because that incentivizes lying about your finances true i did not i forgot setting your budgets unrealistically high yeah all right never mind i forgot that you could like lie (laughs) all right so i guess listeners if you have any plans on how how to make this more actionable that's the wrong word uh accountable I don't know. Do that. So I have been trying to make a latte without a milk frother machine. I don't know um, what they're called. Yeah. I think it's just a... No, it's a milk steamer. Oh, okay. Maybe. Let's... That's why we have Google. Milk steamer wand. Yeah. No, it's a steamer and frother is what you want. Okay. Anyway, I don't have one. And I wanted a latte one day, so with some Googling and some combining of different recipes, this is what I came up with as the best way to make lattes. Is this going to be available as like a paste bin or something for in the show notes? It's not complicated, but sure. Okay. Okay. So what you do is you put milk in a small mason jar. All right. No more than half full because you want room for the milk to expand. Mm -hmm. Uh, Add whatever flavors you want. Uh, personally, I like to put vanilla and sugar in, and you can do yep. that to your taste. Uh, and mix it in, uh, and close the top. Now, while you're doing that, you should be brewing an espresso. If you can't make espresso, then make really strong coffee. Or tea. Or tea, I suppose, yeah. But it won't be as good if it's not strong, because you're going to dilute it yeah. with a bunch of milk. Um, so you're going to shake the jar with the lid on until the milk is frothy. And... Usually it takes like 30 seconds, but don't go too long because it'll actually be less frothy if you go too long. Mm-hmm. And then once it's frothy, with the lid on, put the jar in the microwave for like 30 seconds. That okay. will separate the fatty part of the milk, which is the part that gets frothed, from the milky part, the liquid. And then you pour the milk into the coffee using a spoon to catch the foam. Mm-hmm. And then you can just 
scoop the foam into the into the cup. Okay. And make whatever fun little shapes you want. And I want to do this with uh, uh, skim milk, right? No, you would like to do this with the <laughs> with whole milk, or at least two percent, because it's the fatty part that actually makes it frothy. As far as you're aware, would this also work with like soy milk? I have no idea, but probably. All right. Sure. I'll I'll run some experiments. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, that's, I'll, uh, I'll try that's that what out. You gotta do. You're probably um, gonna need to write it down because I was thinking about other things while you were talking. Okay. Let's recap. You got jar, milk, shake, microwave, pour. Okay. Done. Scoop. All right. Then done. Sounds good. All right. Last weekend, I participated in and did very well in a sailboat race, and not Ooh. just any race. The Trans Winnebago Regatta, and Lake Winnebago is Wisconsin's largest inland lake. Inland, mm. inland, inland, is Wisconsin's largest inland lake. Isn't that it what you is said before? Inland, inland, in, in, inland. I, I feel inland. like I'm not enunciating that enough. Inland, inland. There you go. <laughs> lake Winnebago is Wisconsin's largest inland lake. <laughs> Out of those three, I might get a good one. We'll see. Or you can just have the confusion as a... Yeah. Uh, it's roughly 30 miles long, the lake is. Is that so top to bottom or left to right? North to south. <laughs> All maps are north-oriented. What are you talking about, Stephen? <laughs> yeah, okay. North to south. It's Well, I mean, just it's, it's only 20 feet deep. That's the funny part. Lake Winnebago is hilariously <laughs> shallow. But actually not that far off from the deepest lake in Wisconsin. I actually didn't know, know that. What are you Green talking Lake. about? Green Lake oh, is the deepest. gotcha. I thought you meant like, but the deepest is only 25 feet. Oh, no. Not that far, like, driving. Yeah, okay. But no, uh, Lake Winnebago is like 200 some miles of square feet, square mile, uh, 250 square miles, but only mm -hmm. 20 feet deep at its deepest <laughs> point. Wow. Yeah, it's it's crazy, actually. So yeah, and at any so, point in the lake, yeah, you should be able to dive off a boat and touch the bottom. Most people will huh. be able to, that is. Yeah. So how'd the race go? The race went awesome. Uh, so yeah, the, the, the race itself is from the south end of the lake to the north end of the lake. And it is typically a three to five hour race. And we were sailing, my team of my grandpa, my cousin and I, uh, we sailed a stiletto 27 which is a 27 foot catamaran and i will put a picture of that in the show notes because it is a pretty boat um we because it's so long we didn't think it was necessary to get a really good start so we started about third to last out of tw uh, about 20 boats and we did so well in fact that by the time we got to the halfway mark we really quick did you accelerate um before it hit one <laughs> uh yes okay uh i guess a quick aside on how sailboat races work you get a five minute warning and then because everyone's just sailing around in circles mm -hmm. and you're not allowed to pass the finish line if you do you have to come back before the start happens the starting line not the okay, finish line gotcha. um so everyone's just sailing around you get a five minute warning uh a two minute warning 30 seconds start mm -hmm. so yeah if and once it hits start, you're allowed to cross. You're allowed to pa uh, pass the start line. Gotcha. So, and you you can tr try. Uh, excuse me. You can try to time it so that you're passing the starting line exactly when the 
start hap- the starting horn happens, but we didn't see the point that- because it's a really long race. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, by the time we got to the halfway mark, we had passed every single boat. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, at the halfway point, there was a buoy that the rules of the regatta said that we had to sail downwind of. We didn't know that, so we got disqualified. Oh, but yeah. We finished the race anyway, uh, even though we were disqualified. Uh, we finished way ahead of everyone else. The second place boat was at least 20 minutes behind us. Because you're the third... upwind of all of them, right? Well, not by much, actually. It was only like 20 feet. Ah. There was just a buoy in the water, and we're like, oh no, that's the buoy that we have to be downwind of, <laughs> and we couldn't make it downwind of it. So, But yeah. Uh, no, it wasn't... it wasn't even close. Even if we did go downwind of the buoy, we, we still would have killed everyone because... Like I said, the twenty, the second place boat was at least twenty minutes behind us, and the third place boat was invisible to us because of the curvature of the Earth. <laughs> uh, if our race counted, actually, it would have been a new record time for that regatta. Holy cow! Yeah, w- would, we, like, is there a prize if you do win it without being disqualified? Um, there's a trophy. You get your name on the trophy, and it sits in the Fond du Lac Yacht Club. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, uh. Mostly bragging rights, I think, among the other sailors, mm-hmm. which if you're disqualified, you still kind of get because you still were way ahead of everyone. <laughs> uh, but no, that was a uh, we did it in almost exactly three hours. It, we started at nine o'clock and ended it. We actually heard the noon whistle at the north end of the lake. Mm. So I've been working on my February vlog a couple of weeks ago. I did my January 1 and got that out and now on to February because the goal was to get all of summers done by the end of June. It's July now. That's not happening. <laughs> um, it'll hopefully all be done by August. In any case, um, once I actually sit down and do it, it's not a problem. I can just space out and edit for three hours so I guess the problem is then that I have other responsibilities and can't just be editing all the time. But I need to start is the the largest hurdle I need to overcome. Um, and I'm also assuming that over the summer you're working on some big projects that you're just keeping secret? Uh, no. <laughs> no? I, no big projects? I have a big project. I mean, I have Sears Drive mm-hmm. and I have one other secret big project. The rest are side projects. Okay. And one side um, project that I would actually like to talk about eventually, but keep going. Okay. So a couple of weeks ago, or last week, we were talking about these. I was complaining to you that I just couldn't get this vlog edited. And you said something about motivation that I'm going to try and actually find right now. Okay. Uh, you said you were experimenting with as incentivizing big projects and you said specifically finishing but my problem is more starting so maybe we can approach this from both ends but i'm interested to know how you've been going about this and what started it uh well i found out that uh something that works really well for me at least when i'm doing a big big project is uh having an incentive to get it done Um, yeah more than just a deadline or a arbitrary date that I want to get done by. Uh, a mm-hmm. reward for myself for getting it done. So when I was learning how to type with Dvorak, I said to my, I promised myself that I would buy myself a keyboard, a mechanical keyboard, if I could get over 80 words per minute. 
Yeah. So, uh, and that worked really well. All right. I I don't know if the vlog is the best candidate for that then, because the vlog really is its own thing, and it just feels it, good to be editing it. So I don't okay. need incentive to keep going. You just need a little incentive to get yourself started on doing Basically, it. Basically, yeah. Hmm. And, you know, I've found enough of one. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a good solution for you then, because I, personally, I like to start things and not finish them, mm-hmm. because the idea and the inspiration is way more exciting than the actual work. If I'm started and I have enough time, I'm great. And usually I can start the first time just fine, but if I start and only have a half hour to work on it, starting the next time is so much harder. Yeah. What about um, making... I'm assuming you put, like, edit the edit the vlog in uh, your, your uh, Todoist? Sometimes. What if you did it, like, edit this much of the, of the vlog? Maybe. As of right now, I don't have it quite as systematized enough to break it down into neat little chunks like that yeah i figured but i i suppose the way i edit it i do kind of there's the whole big timeline and then there's little packages i suppose of like going to the grocery store is its own little story because it wouldn't make sense for the grocery store clips to be all spread out right so maybe just getting one of those little packages edited a day makes sense or assembled but then when i edit it all together it all gets mashed around anyways but the first step is always to get those little packages assembled and get everything sorted out yeah that makes sense do you think um is there anything you could be doing while you're editing editing like like um is it reasonable for you to eat something while you're editing i usually use one if not two hands okay so i'd be like eating soup left-handed i figured it'd be something like that because my thought was like have a food you like only be available while you're editing. Mm. So, like, for, for me, it'd be popcorn. I'd be like, okay, I'm only going to eat popcorn while I'm editing a podcast because I like popcorn and don't necessarily want to edit the podcast. Yeah, I can, I can respect both of those opinions. <laughs> but editing the podcast is a lot more back. That's probably more, like, I don't have the same associations with editing video because yeah. it is more active. There's never a time when I'm just sitting there listening to myself fumble over the same five words. Yeah. I really don't. I don't know. I would do right. something like I would do something, something like that, though. It's something that you enjoy doing or something you enjoy in general um, and have that be a thing that you only do while you're or while you're editing or right after you edit edit. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll I'll think about it. I don't have any ideas at the top of my mind right now. Okay. But... So one thing that I could do while I'm editing is uh, keep up on my water intake. <laughs> I guess, Zach. Are you are you still? Because because that's that's definitely a one hand thing. <laughs> are you still tracking the water you drink? Yes, I am. Not always very well, but always a little bit. Okay. Are you reaching yeah. your goal frequently? Give me one moment. I got to add. Actually, I drank a whole bottle already through the podcast, so I've got to add that. And let me go to my drink report to see how well I've done. Not always very well, but always around 70% at least. 70% of what? 70% of the amount I should be Yeah, taking what is in. that amount? 90. 90 ounces? Ounces, okay. yeah. All right. I also started water tracking after that one that conversation on the podcast a 
quite a few weeks ago, actually, at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what, Zach? What? Uh, I cannot find, I cannot seem to find a decent water tracker for iOS. At all. Like, what's the, what are the problems? Here's what I want in a, a water tracker. It's really not that much. It's a water tracker that doesn't make me switch between ounces and milliliters because different bottles give different measurements. So you want to be able to pre-configure no. a cup? I w- as oh. no, I want to have an. No matter how I'm tracking the volume of the container, I want it to be to have a button for ounces and milliliters. So it's because, when you're every time you put it in. Yeah, I don't want to have to go into the settings to say to log something in milliliters. It's just an option on the input. Yeah, for output, fine. Always ounces because that's what I understand. But for input, I don't have to do a conversion in my head or on my phone every time I want to log something. That's what you're. Yeah. You're a computer. You should do that for me. Yes. Okay. I want favorite bottles, so I don't have to enter each drink manually. Mm-hmm. Bottles that are frequent, like uh, a sports bottle is 28 ounces, say. Whatever. It doesn't matter. I want adding a drink to be easy. No more than two taps. Yeah. You'll be surprised how many require it, more. It, you should be able to, if you have favorite bottles, it should be a 3D touch thing. I don't have 3D touch on my phone, but whatever. Yeah, I, you're right. You're completely correct. Um, and I want reminders to drink more water. They don't have that on iOS? They do, but not all apps do. Okay. And and so none of them has the the right combination. Yep. Some have a lot, some have almost all of them, but those are my only requirements, and I have not found an app on iOS that meets all of those requirements. Steven, it sounds like you're planning to make a water tracking app. I am 17 steps ahead of you. I have made a water tracking app. You made it? Yeah. Oh, boy. Does it, does so, it have force touch support, Steven? No, because I don't need it. <laughs> Are you not putting it on the App Store? Uh, you know, I... And I'm going, I've kind of forgot about force touch. So I'm going to actually add that to my list of things to put in the water. <laughs> okay. tracker. But at the moment, it is a full fledged app. It is completely 100% functional. Awesome. Okay. This is the Hold side on. project you said you wanted to talk yeah. about. So I'm, it's not pretty, I guess, but it is pretty enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does all the things I wanted to do. So it's. All right, I see it. It looks nice and material designy. Uh, kind of. Um, it's not super the, the, as much material designy as iOS yeah. can be. I'm not going to go too much into it because it's kind of just hard to describe over audio what it looks like. Because it looks like every other water tracker. It's blue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, I'm in the process of cleaning it up a little bit and getting it ready to just put in the App Store. And I have never made anything this fast before. Because I started working on it on Thursday. It is now Saturday, and it is done. Wow. Yeah. It, I am very confused, actually. And it, there were no like hiccups that took me more than an hour. Usually when I'm working on a project like this, I'll run into a problem that'll take me days. But is, no, that, and I'm, is that all Swift? Is that all attributable to Swift? Or? Um, yeah, I think. But yeah, I made a water tracker in two days. It was awesome. I feel really good about it. And it'll be on the App Store tomorrow, right? Because that's Apple's uh, App Store policies are... Actually, have you, like, heard the news? They're more... It's, like, fast. It's, like, 48 hours now. Oh, my gosh. So so it will be on the App Store tomorrow. I mean, no, because now I have to add Force Touch. So thanks a lot. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. And, like, I've been trying to figure out Kotlin, and this would be... sounds like an 
easy enough thing to do in Kotlin. Have you ever had a project that was just eerily fast? Um, some of the school projects were really fast last year when I was just working on Java. They went by much quicker than I expected, but that that just meant I had more time to spend with friends, so I didn't dwell too long on it. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm just a little worried now because it feels like something I'm missing a step, I guess. So, no, nothing's gone wrong yet. Yeah, it's my... <laughs> My knitting friends always say it's not a real project until there's blood involved, so. <laughs> so, phones can be used for wonderful things, like keeping track of health metrics. In my instance, in my case, in my experience, that's the word, in my experience, however, they also can do immense harm. Oh, no. Because social media is designed to hijack your brain and i am a weak human being who craves dopamine <laughs> steven in from what i've seen you're on twitter maybe twice a day that sounds about right or, yeah. or maybe even once a day like you don't even respond to the notifications i don't get, how do you do it i don't get a ton of notifications i it's only when someone likes or retweets my my tweets that it tells me that it tells me anything and I thought that was default, is it not? Uh, mine also does direct messages. Oh, yeah. I, so, stuff that directly affects me. But it doesn't do the yeah, Facebook that's... thing where it's like, uh, so-and-so shared a photo. Would you like to see it? And I'm like, no, I don't, but whatever. I don't have Facebook on my yeah, phone. I don't either because that's, of those notifications. Yeah. But Twitter doesn't like... The only reason I go on Twitter is because I want to see what's going on on Twitter, not because Twitter is calling me back. Mm -hmm. Is that not the case for you? Um, well, it also does. I know on my phone it pops up like little, hey, a lot of people have been liking this. Yeah, or... I don't get that. Is that... All right. Maybe I've... I kind of want that, actually, because I don't go... On... I feel like I don't go on Twitter enough to see everything. <laughs> um, but in general, I suppose, I really only know how much you interact with your phone by how quickly you respond to my Twitter messages. <laughs> so how... How often would you say you're on your phone? Is it a problem for you? Um, no, I think... Hmm, okay, let me think. Uh, I am on my phone a reasonable amount, I think. Uh, in the past 48 hours, because of that water tracking app, I've been on my phone constantly, but only on the water tracking app. <laughs> so I wouldn't really call that a phone. I would really just call that what whatever the project is I'm doing. Yeah. Um... Other than that, it's mostly reserved for downtime, I guess. When I'm not doing something, I might go on Instagram or Twitter or something. Mm -hmm. You said that downtime was pretty much when your phone came out. Yeah. How do you make sure that you don't create downtime, I suppose? Like, when I come home from work, I could either... Oh, I got a notification on my computer. Uh, see, that's that's the kind of problem I'm having. Um, <laughs> when I come home from work, it could either be like work on the vlog or something like that or go sit on my bed and scroll through instagram for a little bit and do you have uh, um, a way that you keep that from happening or is that not even a decision in your mind that it's not a decision for sure i don't um make a conscious choice to go do work instead of going my, on my phone um i mean at some point even if i do put it off whatever i'm doing eventually i'll run out of social media to check mm -hmm. because even twitter gets boring after a while yeah be so yeah it, it'll be something like 
okay, I got home. Let's check Twitter and check Twitter. Okay, Twitter's done. I'm I'm out of tweets to read. And then I go do something else. I might go on Instagram or I might go on Facebook or whatever. But again, eventually I stop and go do something else. Okay. And one that so, thing might be work. Uh, I do have a similar problem with um with Netflix though, mm-hmm. where I will. Okay, I could work on a project, a side project, or I I could edit the podcast, or I could sit down and watch Netflix for a little while. And Netflix and, and Hulu autoplay, so there's no escaping <laughs> that from sheer boredom. Yeah, right. There's just more content. Just guilt. Yeah. Just guilt. Um. But yeah, I, I understand the problem from that perspective. All right. Something to re- reflect on then? Yeah. I don't know. Doesn't sound like we have a solution. I definitely don't. I just be... I, what got me to do a water tracker app is uh, excitement, I guess, mm-hmm. which is probably why half of why I moved so fast was I don't want this to be put on a back burner because I just want to get it done because yeah. I actually really want a water tracker app that works. Mm-hmm. All right. So switch the constant novelty from your device to the thing you're working on and you'll never have problems again. Just always be invigorated by your projects. Easy peasy. Yeah. I wish it were that I really wish it were <laughs> that easy. So Steven, I'm so excited about Edgar Wright's Baby Driver. Have you seen it? I have seen trailers for it. You have seen that trailers. That kind of gives you the idea, but it doesn't get you close to the experience of watching it. Ooh, it's that good. I huh? I want to see it again. I wanted to see it again the moment I got out of that theater, but the two people with me had to get home and sleep or whatever because they had to work. Eh. <laughs> um, so do you know that scene in Shaun of the Dead when they're playing? No. Oh, I've not oh. seen that movie. Well, there is a scene in Shaun of the Dead for those of you who haven't seen Shaun of the Dead for some reason where they're playing um, Don't Stop Me by Queen and eventually it just like happens it just seems to happen that all of these actors as they're fighting the zombies are slowly starting to do it more and more synchronously with the song (laughs) until eventually it's a choreographed attack on these zombies to the beat of don't stop me don't stop me now that's the title there's a yeah you said okay okay uh that is a scene in Shaun of the dead that's a that's a scene in Shaun of the dead this this movie baby driver is like if you took that scene and made it into one giant heist movie. <laughs> that makes me want to see this movie a lot it's more. It's excellent. Um, the, the meter and the flow of it are wonderful and are paced by the soundtrack. Um, they work in tandem more than any other sh- movie that I've ever seen. Um, Edgar Wright, do- as a director, does a couple things right. Ah, ah, and... <laughs> <laughs> and and one of those things that he always does well is um working the music in with his movie. And this is another wonderful example of that. It's just it's just it's, it's a good movie. Go watch it. 10 out of 10. That's my review. Wow. All right. All right. Uh well, we're going to move into our book club section on Reem D. We read up to the end of day 3, which is page 254. Um, so if you are reading along with us or don't care about spoilers, then stick around. Otherwise we'll be back in two weeks with another wonderful episode until then you can find us on the internet. I'm 
at the puns guy. And I am at not Stephen Barry. So let us know what you thought of the pod. Don't forget to go on iTunes and do all of the wonderful rating and commenting that helps out a podcast. <laughs> Thank you, listeners, for listening. Okay, uh, do you have, like, a jumping-off point for us? Um, the the two things that, like, really caught my eye were the switch to Sokolov's point of view, and that for the little first chunk of it, they did it kind of in that Russian accent type, at least uh, in the book. They had, like, <laughs> sayink with a hard K at the end, and then after one or two paragraphs, it just switched back into normal, readable English, but you still were in Sokolov's mind. So that was an interesting hey, look at this, you're in Sokolov's brain, and now you're still there, but... Now you can actually read it? I don't need to... <laughs> you're, yeah, sti- you're still... Keep writing like yeah. this. You get the idea. Is kind of more of kind of the vibe I got from that. Mm-hmm. And then I, I was wondering how hard it would be to... It's, it seemed like Sangar was scraping IPs uh, manually, like he would connect and then copy-paste into an Excel sheet somewhere what the IP address was, and so I've been looking a little bit at how hard it would be to make a Python script. And it turns out actually kind of hard because there's nothing in Python to control Wi-Fi. Oh, really? Yeah, not by default. Huh. There's a couple little libraries, but they're out of date. Yeah, that makes sense. The hackers keep those to themselves. <laughs> I was impressed with... Um, I, I shouldn't be impressed, but I am because it's not common to be this well-knowledged about a subject, unfortunately. Um if you say, basically, uh, I just always cringe in TV shows when the, in like uh, crime shows where the law enforcement says, we got their IP address and can trace it directly back to their house. <laughs> because it's totally not how that works. I mean, if you have a warrant and stuff, you could, right? Like you could go to the ISP. Yeah, but and... you have to go to the ISP. You can't just say, oh, we just caught their IP address. We have to, we can just look at the Zoomy map. Oh, okay. Yeah. But if you're not a Russian hacker, there's a much more direct way to get it. Yes, but this is I. I think that the, this is the best way they could have gone about finding the troll is just scraping mm-hmm. IPs. Yeah, and you almost feel bad for the troll because they're just looking to make a couple extra dollars and definitely yeah. don't deserve Russian mob. They should be like yeah. prosecuted in a court of law. Yeah, but the Russian mob is a little extreme. <laughs> There's a sentence for you. There's a <laughs> quote. <laughs> that should be your Twitter bio. The Russian the mob, mob is a little, is extreme. little extreme. For my tastes, at least. I don't know. For about my you. tastes. <laughs> um, the next thing was kind of the when Richard got off the plane and he was talking with Dan or Dave or whatever about his character in terrain. Um, they were talking about kind of the war of realignment and how it was this rebellion against the information overload they were relating it to like foodies and then midwestern anti-foodies um that was strange actually i should have taken a note there but i didn't um the rice krispie treats uh thing was yeah very funny to me taking two two already made foods and making them another made food like um (laughs) fluffernutters which which is an east coast thing so never mind that's selection bias probably (laughs) <laughs> there is something to it that it's probably much more prevalent in the Midwest of like, uh, you Silicon Valley folk don't understand our real tri- trials and tribulations of Rice Krispie treats. <laughs> but yeah, I never, I, I never, I never thought about the fact that so much of my diet is 
uh, foods that just just combined foods, I guess. Foods that were already combined from something else. Which, for you, isn't a direct opposition in thought to the, you know, knowing the name of every ingredient philosophy. It's just how you eat food. Um, and then it it kind of made a relation. I brought it back to, in Magic the Gathering, there's the Forgotten Realms and the Uncharted Realms, uh, which are... This the stories to make the card game more compelling because you can't just have a card game in a vacuum then you've got force of will and that's no fun uh, <laughs> so with Magic the Gathering they have all these stories as to why different things work the way they do and they're working actually even harder now than they were before but I know for me as a player I just, just wanted to kick <laughs> was the term that they used in this in the book and it's pretty much what I was there in Magic for I didn't really care about the plight of i don't even remember their names right but so there there's a real life relation the fact that richard felt the need for a story was interesting to me mm -hmm. because there are plenty of mmos that are just in a vacuum and the fact that he he said that the quests that you do in the game are part of the story so you have free will to do the quests, mm -hmm. but the quests are going to get done, and that's what the yeah. story is. And that was just a really good idea, I think, like a, a way to us make a story even for a thing mm -hmm. with players. It, it with reminded free will. me a lot of my LARPing days. <laughs> oh boy! Um, well, because the the people who make the games for LARPs, even more than MMOs, I would say probably want you to be invested in your character that you're playing there because it is you is effectively right. it is you um so you care about being an interesting character and doing important things in the world but they have a greater the story they need to tell so they do need to band everyone together who's there for that game day for some reason so they need to give different hooks in to get you all to go and kill the giant turtle or whatever i think it is so entirely pl plausible that in earth tone and what was the other one uh, forces of brightness yeah the Earth Tone Coalition and the Forces of Brightness would have formed. Just from mm -hmm. my experience on Reddit, mostly. Yeah. The fact that people can band over the smallest of things. Mm -hmm. And the color of your hair definitely is one of those things. Yeah. Or not even your hair. The color of your fictional character's hair. Because <laughs> that's, so, that's even um, something you can control then. You, you played yeah. a part more than you play a part in the color of your own hair. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I've. What are some things that Reddit has banded around? Like, has formed teams of. I, I mean, the the April Fool's jokes are always good to demonstrate sure, how yeah. willing people are to just jump on something. Like, that's, um, that's a great one. one year they did the Team Orange Red and Team Periwinkle, which was a play on Team Fortress Two, I believe. Could you explain what the April Fool's uh, thing was, though? I, I'm pretty sure it was just that you like got separated into teams. Were you separated, or were, did you choose a team? I'm not sure. I believe okay, I it was random. Yeah, I think so too. And so here's what happened. <laughs> Reddit randomly, as far as I can tell, randomly separated their users into Team Orange and Team Periwinkle. And from that, Reddit just banded around these colors and had fights and arguments over mm -hmm. which was the superior color from nothing more than yeah. it is a color. And, and the, the button and was I, another one where there were whole societies... But 
there's always because it's just an April Fool's joke and it's going to end tomorrow or next month or whatever. The societies that are built up are inherently jokey. So it's got a different tone than the Earth tone because people sink actual real money into this game, into terrain. And it's a more serious matter than when people start banding around you and forming alliances you don't even know are to be formed when there's real money on the line. Yeah. Um, so, but this is a thing that, that I don't think this is a battle that can be won is the thing. Not naturally, at least, because when you, as far as I can tell, when you kill someone in terrain, they just go back mm-hmm. to their spawn point. And even the stuff they were carrying goes back to the, their spawn point. Yeah. So it's not like you can take their money and run if they're uh, if they're Earth Tone versus if they're forces of you color. Can, or you can make it that? not fun for the Earth Tone Coalition to play, though. You can capture but, every area of the planet while they're in limbo. Yeah, except not really because of the sheer amount of people who are on it each side. It sounded from the discussion that he had with D Squared like he thought it was an actual, like Richard thought it was an actual concern that one might win. I know, and that's why I'm confused. Because if, if let's just say that, let's just say that every Earth Tone got in a line and every Forces of Color got in a line and they mm-hmm. just started fighting. Yeah. Nothing would happen. Even if Earth Tone won by a huge margin, Forces of Color would just get back together because there's no penalty for dying. Yeah, I suppose. It's just whoever loses interest first loses. There, There is a point, though, where there is strength in vast numbers. And if you're outnumbered three to one... Then it's, then it's a rebellion instead of a war, you know? Then it's just a different mm-hmm. kind of fight. It's an insurgency that even more can't be killed because now it's 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 us against yeah. the man except they're supposed to be the man earth tone is kind of supposed to be the status quo just for the sake of the story staying coherent there needs to be that good and evil that they've written in yeah and the you, you got to the part where he says um none of the quests are inherently evil they just have that label yeah, yeah. um it, and this is like way better in my opinion, I don't know why Richard is trying to stop this. This is way better than the so good and evil fight. So you think they should fight. pivot and, for whatever reason, good and evil stopped existing in the entire story of this universe? Yeah, people stopped... Screw... Care. Well, okay. Screw continuity? Not screw continuity, but say, say something like people were so uh, entranced with the idea of color versus earth tone that good and evil could put aside their differences. Color doesn't exist in together. the story. The story doesn't acknowledge color, the the forces of brightness. Oh, they don't yeah. exist. Everyone is earth tone. Yeah, you're right. Because that's what's canon. And that's yeah, you're right. That's why the story. Oh, okay. Yep, that makes way more sense now. That's why he's trying to squash this because they'd have to figure out a way in the story to put color with, in. Yeah, the the whole the whole problem with giving earth tone power. Is then they have to acknowledge, acknowledge that yeah. there is an Earth Tone coalition. And I was not thinking about mm-hmm. it before. Could they? Could Richard give more power to Earth Tone, but behind the scenes without doing anything I don't to the story? Think so, because I think they need everything in this world to have a story basis, because everyone's pretty much bought in on the yeah. assumption that there's a story basis for it. Right, and he said he could do things with deities. He said yeah. that there was a 
Couldn't he just say that a deity wanted color? I guess, yeah. Have, like, Pan pop up and start partying it up with blue hair and... Yeah. And then and then you could pivot, I think. I still think they should pivot. I think that the war for color is much more interesting than the war for good and evil. Mm-hmm. Especially when good and evil does not exist because it's just yeah. arbitrary. Okay. That does sound like a much better idea to rally around the things people actually care about yeah uh do we actually do we know the trolls colors it might have been something they mentioned once but like whoever it was that healed zula they did give a physical description of yeah i don't remember it i'm gonna put it out of my mind check it no all right there's no discussion of color of the characters okay so that feels intentional i feel like they'd all be one though and if they're forces of brightness, which would kind of make sense because they're all like Chinese teens, yeah. then the troll crew will be nerfed when they nerf forces of brightness or beef up Earth Tone, however they do it. Yeah. Or don't do it and just pivot. Pivot Perhaps. the story. We'll see. I still think that's what they should do. Uh, but yeah, uh, I don't. It sounds like the trolls aren't keeping, like, they don't really care about that whole thing. That much, at least, they're just in there to make some cash. Yeah, but it seems like they know about the game enough to have opinions. Oh, sure, but I think they wouldn't get involved and risk uh, their operation. Well, we'll see. It definitely could be a problem. From everything I know about teenagers, (laughs) they play the game and are passionate about this and also are making some money. Okay, but they're also, they also designed a virus. Yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> okay. Um, and then my last note was just that this is a wonderful book for this podcast, especially for our first um, book club, because it's a lot of neat facts and productivity tips all wrapped up in a compelling narrative. Day four is about 280 pages long, so we're just going to stick to that. Uh, we'll catch you next time at page 480, beginning of day five. That was it. We'll be around in two weeks. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter. Uh, everything that we talked about today was going to be in the show notes. So go over there and that those are available online at stephenberry.rock slash worrying bugs or in the description on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you in two weeks. Smell you later. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.